Welcome to Michigan Opera Theater's Dance Here podcast. This is John Tavison and Andrea Scobie with Michigan Opera Theater. Thank you for joining us today as we celebrate the work and the legacy of Ballet Hispanico. As Hispanic Heritage Month drew to a close, we had the opportunity to speak with Eduardo Villaro, the Artistic Director and CEO of Ballet Hispanico, to talk about the company's past and future vision, and also Eduardo's life as a dancer and choreographer and leader and advocate for Latinx communities. Ballet Hispanico's mission is to bring communities together to celebrate and explore Latino cultures through innovative dance productions, transformative dance training, and community engagement. Michigan Opera Theater has welcomed Ballet Hispanico several times in the past, most recently in 2017, and we look forward to the return post-pandemic in 2022 with a new work, which we'll have the opportunity to hear more about from Eduardo. I have to admit, John, that I didn't become familiar with Ballet Hispanico until their visit to Detroit in 2017, uh, and I just really can't believe it took me so long. I was really missing out. Do you remember when you first uh, became familiar with their work? I first became familiar with their work in the early 90s and actually presented the company. I presented the company in New Orleans and became very involved with uh, Eduardo, who was at the time a dancer with the company, and Tina Ramirez, who is the founding artistic director. That's amazing. When they were here in Detroit, we were able to present a number of education and community engagement workshops with them. They did dance workshops for students in after-school programs and at schools, um, but particularly in Southwest Detroit. And it was really a joy to see them kind of off stage, you know, working in the community and working with young people. It's such an important part of the work they do, and we were really lucky to witness that firsthand here in Detroit. I'll also add that when they came to New Orleans, we put together our first Latino task force to promote the company, and we presented in a 2,300-seat hall, and we were at 105% capacity because we filled the orchestra pit with additional seats, and we still had a waiting list. It was, to this day, the most successful presentation in New Orleans ever. Oh my gosh. And I couldn't think of a more worthy company to have, uh, you know, so much great attention in the community and so many accolades. With all that being said, John, I, I think we should welcome our guest today. We are very excited to welcome Eduardo Villaro, the Artistic Director and CEO of Ballet Hispanico. Eduardo completed his master's in interdisciplinary arts at Columbia College Chicago and founded Luna Negra Dance Theater in Chicago, serving as Artistic Director for the first 10 years. He first joined Ballet Hispanico as a dancer and educator in 1988 and was appointed to artistic director in August 2009, becoming only the second person to head the company since its founding in 1970. In 2015, Mr. Villaro added the role of chief executive officer to his responsibilities. Born in Cuba and raised in New York from the age of six, he is a frequent speaker on the merits of the intersectionality of cultures and the importance of nurturing and building Latinx leaders. His choreography is devoted to capturing the Latin American experience in its totality and diversity, and through its intersectional points with other diasporas, an ability to spurn new dialogues about what it means to be an American. In 2001, he was a recipient of a Ruth Page Award for choreography and was inducted into the Bronx Walk of Fame in 2016. The following year, he was awarded Ombre Magazine's Arts and Culture Trailblazer of the Year, and in 2019, he received the Westside Spirits Westie Award. In August 2020, City and State Magazine included Mr. Villaro in the inaugural Power of Diversity Latin 100 list. Eduardo, thank you so much for taking time to join us today. Oh, thank you. What a pleasure it is to be with you. 
I just love Michigan Opera Theater every time we've been there, um, the performances we've had, and also the interactions and engagement with community. So happy to answer any question. Eduardo and I have known each other for 30 years. We first met when I presented Ballet Hispanico in New Orleans and he was dancing with the company. And there was a ton of energy in the audience. Little did I know that Eduardo and I would become great friends and that our lives and careers would intertwine for years to come. I, I love that we're still on this journey. <laughs> and always to be continued, there's always more. That's right. I want to start by asking you a question. And that is, you were born in Cuba and your family sought political asylum in the U.S. in 1969 in Miami. Later, you moved to New York and lived in the South Bronx. I'm curious as to what your observations of Latino culture in Cuba compared to Latino culture in the U.S. was and how that experience shaped you. That's an interesting question. You know, I came when I was six years old uh, to the United States and um, I had not yet developed kind of an idea of what culture is. And so the only thing that really connected me to the culture were the stories and the histories that my parents would um, share with us. Um, so there was a great uh, mystery while I was growing up here in the Bronx uh, about what my culture was. And what I learned about it really was based in the traditions that we brought, the language, the food. Um, but I will say that, that I had a chance to return to Cuba um, uh, eight years ago, and then again, five years ago. Uh, and it was certainly just a mind boggling experience because everything I thought I knew about Cuba wasn't there. Of course, it wasn't there. It, it had gone through a revolution and then 60 years later, they are in a specific place. But what I can say about growing up in the South Bronx, it was a time of great strife in the, in the late 60s, early 70s. Uh, New York City was burning, figuratively and literally. Um, there was a huge migration out of the city, um, which was called white flight, and businesses were just, manufacturing businesses were just shutting down. And so the city was very depressed. And there were swaths of land and neighborhoods that were left alone. They were broken down amongst them. There were families that were still vibrant and living, but it was a hard time. So um, it was like out of the frying pan and into the fire for my family. But the, the Latino community still held its ground. And one of the things that I still hold dear to is that we had this community in the Bronx that still held on to the traditions and watched out for each other. Wow. Eduardo, that um, strikes me with so much resonance as I know it will strike so many who grew up in Detroit because mm -hmm. our experiences here really mirrored that, you know, 1967. You know, you talk about seeing your neighborhood and your city burn and the Detroit rebellion prompted so much of what you saw as well. I just think it's interesting and, you know, sad and also wonderful in the face of, you know, this devastation that community bonded so closely together, um, as did the community here in Detroit during those years. Yeah, and, and I'll, I'll just say that the, the, there's always magic around, even when there's stressful time, just like right now, we're going to a very difficult time. It was the end of, you know, the, the civil rights strife, not the end, but the end of you know, we were just coming out of Dr. Martin Luther King and everything and the changes of the laws. And it was such a fertile ground 
for artists, artists like Alvin Ailey, um, Dance Theater of Harlem and Arthur Mitchell, and then our very own Tina Ramirez. So from the ashes of everything that was going on, both financially, um, historically it was a moment. And certainly all of these pioneers, black and brown pioneers in modern dance, um, did something to ignite a movement. And so Ballet Hispanico was born. Mm. Uh, you know, I'm hopeful from there you can tell us a little bit about your own early years in the arts. What was it that first got you interested in dance and choreography? <laughs> so I, um, <laughs> I was in eighth grade. I loved dancing. We danced as part of, you know, family gatherings, quinceañeras, all those good stuff. And, you know, it was music and dance were a, a connector for me, as I said earlier, to my culture. But it was in eighth grade. I didn't even know I liked theater. We had a um, eighth grade teacher who came in, took over the, the teacher who had left and retired. And he was a director, ex-actor, and he decided to put an eighth grade play together. And it was Your Good Man, Charlie Brown, and I got the part of Linus. And Linus dances with his blanket. And, you know, I had to choreograph something to do fun and um, work with the, the director. I'll never, he's just amazing, Mr. Chuck Abbott. And uh, he, he allowed me to express myself. What can I say? Well, <laughs> lights went on. I started dancing my solo. I even went down into the, the crowd. So I was already, you know, breaking the fourth wall. And um, it, I was hooked. Oh, that makes me emotional. The arts, edu <laughs> the arts educator part of me. Um, yeah. You have lived the story that, you know, we, we wish every student would be able to live, to have the arts be able to unlock something in them and, and put them on the path that is their unique path. That's incredible. And that's why I love the work that we do at Valley Hispanico, the education and, and engagement work, because I live by that value, mm -hmm. that, that every child can find themselves in the arts and then have a trajectory for a career in their lives. And, you know, Tina Ramirez would always say, if you change the life of one child, you change the life of a family. If you change the life of a family, you change the life of a community. Mm. That's amazing. I, I definitely want to get to the education and community work you have done, not just at Ballet Hispanico and elsewhere, but I want to stay focused on you for just one more minute. You pursued dance in college out of that extraordinary experience of doing Charlie Brown, and I'm sure many other things uh, in the intervening years. But you pursued dance in college, receiving a BFA from Adelphi University, um, and as we mentioned, that master's in interdisciplinary arts from Columbia College. Who were some of your teachers and influences during these formative years? Oh my goodness. Um, I, I went to Adelphi University and it was an amazing dance program that had a lot of teachers from the Ballet Russe de Monte Carlo and Norman Walker was the, the head and he had danced with Graham. There was a lot of Graham. There was Cunningham. I, you know, I studied at such an interesting time I always like to say where, you know, the gods were still amongst us. You know, I danced in a jazz class where Mr. Ailey walked in. I, you know, was doing pleadings, which is a, a movement at the Graham School, and Martha Graham walked in to, to watch. It was such an interesting time. Um, and, you know, I didn't look, it wasn't about hierarchy. It was about the astonishment of 
these people forging ahead with this art form it was really fantastic. So I feel very privileged to have worked at a time where there was so many intersections of different aspects of the dance world, right? Changes, you know, Judson Theater, everything, there was so much going on. Um, so of course the, the work in the university and outside of it led me to have this curiosity about my art in much more than just the, the technical aspects. Early in your career, you trained with Norman Walker, studied at Graham and Ailey. And when you first joined Ballet Hispanico, you danced works by George Faison, Tally Beatty, Vincente Nebrada, and Graciela Danielle. Uh -huh. And you've also mentioned Pina Bausch and Nacho Duarte as influences. What impact have these artists and their work had on both your artistic voice and your vision for the arts as a means of social change? Wow, what a great question. I think the influences of any artist uh, during their formative years um, sets up the artist to have a particular perspective. In my time, I was still working amongst these incredible pioneers and at the same time, these new pioneers. And when I started dancing at Bali Hispanico, um, I learned something beyond the modern dance pioneers like Martha Graham and Cunningham um, and even Mr. Ailey. There were new voices coming out. Um, Pina Bausch, Nacho Duato. Nacho Duato influenced me in the fact that I finally got to see a Spanish artist who was creating work about his culture. And there was not a lot of that. I mean, Ballet Hispanico, we were trying to do that, but at the global stage, because he became so important so quickly. And so it was how he took essences of his culture and uh, fused it with contemporary ballet or his contemporary language was something that I was like, yes, it could be done. We need to do it. And we, we at Ballet Hispanico should be doing more of that. Um, and so it was so important for me as I left Ballet Hispanico and later to start Luna Negra that I had that kind of, um, we can create something uh, different for my community and for what Latinx represents. And then Pina Bausch, you know, she just had the, that theatrical background and also, you know, just steeped in, in um, magic realism almost, and, you know, uh, anguish and realness and rawness. And I really like that because that's what I feel culture is about. You know, there's always the prettiness that you can see in a ballet, um, in a classical ballet piece, but I, I, I was interested in, in really digging into culture. You know, on the subject of influences, you've already mentioned, I think, twice Tina Ramirez, uh, who was the artistic director of Ballet Hispanico in your early years there. I'm wondering if you can talk about her influence and your work together in developing dance education residencies. Oh, I can say so much about Tina Ramirez because she, Tina is such a maverick. She was a woman, a Latina, who started an organization in 1970. Everybody stop and think about that. Yes. I Where, would point out that in 1970, she might not have been able to get a credit card in her own name, but she started a company. That's it. Thank you. <laughs> right? <laughs> and, and, you know, the struggles that she had to go through in order to feel 
included and at the table um, was, you know, I can't even imagine it because, you know, my, I can't allow my male privilege to even think that, that I can go there. I have my own things as a, um, as a male Latino that, that we can discuss at some other time. But in, in her doing that, that was, you know, so forward thinking. She wanted to give voice to this um, community. And she only saw herself, even in her work, that she would be hired as the, the maid to play in this, in, in this show. Or in the musical, you were someone who was swarthy or the this or the that. And so they were stereotypes and iconic representations that she, was, she really wanted to see if she could push the needle and change. Above all, what Tina really wanted to do was give access to quality training to Latinx boys and girls that she saw at that time again in the 70s um, being left on the wayside. She did this remarkable thing of starting a space where Latinx people can come, feel proud, and then take that home with them. That, you know, there, there are all these measurements about how you serve, uh, or, you know, people of color. Sometimes it's just giving them their own space. Sometimes it's just giving a space that's not in squalor. Sometimes it's just saying you deserve better. And that's what Tina did. And so one of the best things that happened to me was for some reason she saw that I would be a good educator. She came into the studio, she pulled me aside, and she said, I have something for you to do. And I was like, what she does with all dancers. And I was like, well, okay. It's like, you've been teaching, you're a good teacher, I need you to run this program for me. There are kids who are having issues with children living in temporary shelters, and they need holiday cheer. And I need you to put a program together. And she immediately put me on as a project manager and director of this program. I never had an ounce of, uh, of those skills. Um, maybe some soft skills, but not the ones that she really wanted me to do. However, I fell in love immediately. It was about community organizing. So I went to McDonald's. I asked them if they could give me breakfast meals every day for my 25 plus kids. Um, I would go in the mornings and pick up the breakfast. Then there was a Latin restaurant nearby. I said, can you give us lunch? And they would take us downstairs to the basement and gave the kids free lunch. So it was about organizing the community around these children in need. Little did I know that I could have written a grant, um, <laughs> but I just did what I, I, I did normally. And then, and then I did hire because there, there was a grant, of course, associated to this um, through Valley Hispanico. I hired some teachers and we did dance classes and art classes and we learned about our um, Latinx histories. And so they had a whole day outside of living in a shelter. And to me, that set me up for the leader that I am today. Hmm. So Eduardo, it sounds like uh, to some extent it was trial by fire, but obviously Tina recognized that there was a talent and something that sparked within you or she would never have asked you to do that. And it sounds like your time at Ballet Hispanico, both as a performer and as an educator, was really a rich experience. So it begs the question, why after a decade did you decide to leave and what motivated you to found your own company, Luna Negra? Another great question, why did I leave after a decade of being at Ballet Hispanico? 
I think when you are exposed and when you are given leadership roles like that, then uh, you know, you're, you're starting to need to flex that muscle a little bit more. And I was very interested in more. And I wanted to um, experience more and get more uh, knowledge of what I was doing and what I wanted to do. Uh, I, we had toured you know, throughout Latin America and Europe. So I had gathered so much performance experience. I felt that I needed to work on myself. So I went to Chicago um, and went to this interdisciplinary arts program because I was interested in using all of the arts for education purposes and for new ways of bringing Latinx culture to communities. So I did this and it was a great program and I learned so much from fabulous people. And that opened me up to even more, I think, for my leadership acumen. Why did you take on founding a company? I can't imagine anything harder or more challenging. <laughs> Um, you know, I think sometimes stars align and you have to go with it. So I was in Chicago, I finished my master's and Chicago had this beautiful um, Latino theater company and they had their own building and it burned down and there was no access to um, Latinx arts there. And it, you know, it has one of the largest Latinx communities in America, a very strong Mexican community. There was, there is the Mexican National Museum of Arts there, but there wasn't anything movement and theater wise. So I don't know, I, I had, my voice was asking me to do something with me, what I learned in Tina and what I just finished learning. And so I, I went and opened up a, an organization. I went with a, a friend and got my 501c3 status. I had some information. I guess I should have said earlier on that not only Tina supported me growing at Valley Hispanico, but even the executive director, Verdery Roosevelt, would lean on me um, for help with the dancers and organ organizing the dancers and some of the events they had to do. So I, I brought some of that with me, right? Um, I didn't know it was going to be so, uh, how can I say? I didn't know it was gonna take over my life the way it did. <laughs> well, now that's, that's a little odd considering that you saw how much Valley Hispanico consumed Tina Ramirez. You should have known what was coming, Eduardo. <laughs> but you know what, you had this thing, I have a vision that I wanna, you know, it's, it's that, that vision thing. I, I want to be able to tell the stories of Latinx, people this way, I, you know, and I was happy that Tina was doing it her way, but I, I wanted a specific way, right? Yeah. And I wanted something that reflected my generation um, and much more contemporary. And again, you know, as immigrants and, and, and Tina it was also an immigrant, as Im immigrants, we bring to our work what we know, right? From our communities, from our countries. And so I'm very different than Tina. Tina came here and grew up in uh, during Broadway and vaudeville and at a time where being Latino was quieter. I am, you know, the, the Latinx generation that was already gathering the tools, the language to stand up and say, we need to be counted in a different way, right? It was not so much about being 
seen, but about being heard. And so I wanted to make sure that the stories of not only the different cultures, but the stories of Latinos here in America were being told. And that means um, across the board, a diverse intersectionality that's amazing. Well, for the sake of our listeners, I, I just want to add in here that as someone who was living in Chicago during the time that you were building Luna Negra, you founded a company that started with, what, three, four, five dancers, one of whom was you, yes. and left a company with a dozen dancers doing amazing work. So, I mean, uh, you, you really enriched the city of Chicago with what you did with Luna Negra. Thank you. Thank you. It was, a, it was such an honor to have been given that opportunity. I just brought what Tina taught me to that city. And, you know, that says a lot. So you uh, served as the artistic director for Luna Negra Dance Theater for 10 years. And then in 2009, kind of came full circle in a way when you took on the artistic director position at Ballet Hispanico. And I wonder if you could talk a little bit about uh, how you define your mission with Ballet Hispanico and the things that you the things that you have accomplished and hope to still accomplish in your role and with the company. Wow, these are really fabulous questions. Thank you so much. I, I Coming in as the artistic director of Ballet Hispanico, I understood, I felt, I lived, I breathed the mission because it was a mission that made me who I was as an artist and as a leader. So that was easy. Now vision and the vision for Ballet Hispanico moving forward, that was something that needed to be worked out, of course. And my vision for this organization was to continue opening up the perspective of everyone who comes into play with this organization to understand the huge diversity in the Latinx community, in the Hispanic community, um, where it all comes from. And so that's, to me, art can do that. To me, dance can do that. To me, dance can develop um, a way of us opening up dialogues to discover not only who someone else might be, but even who we are ourselves in this world and how we are placed amongst other people. And so the, the, our diaspora is so woven with other diasporas. The intersectionality of who we are as people is brilliant. So I'm always looking in my vision to shine a light on that. And um, I'm also looking to shine a light on the, the difficult aspects as well as the celebratory aspects. I don't want to throw away, you know, I love a good cha-cha and mambo and salsa. There's nothing wrong with it, but it doesn't define us. And even within a salsa, uh, or even if you think about salsa, the many countries that, where that form lives um, has a unique way of, of seeing that and has a unique way of moving. And so, you know, art is not static. And so that is what I think of for Valley Hispanico, creating dance, creating art that keeps us understanding that the world is ever evolving. 
it sounds like education in and of itself is a, is a large facet of your mission, but um, I'm hoping you can speak a little bit about the specific residency, community engagement programs, programs for young people that you've developed with Ballet Hispanico. I've been really fortunate in my role uh, in direct, as Director of Education in Detroit to work with you on some of those programs, but I know you have a wide range, and I'm hoping you can talk a little bit about them and how they reflect and relate to the company's mission as well. So I guess I want to start by saying that one of the first things Tina did even before the company was she had a school of dance. And with about a handful of young ladies, she trained them and built them into professional dancers. And that's how the company was born. And so engagement and education is the backbone of Ballet Hispanico. Our heart is dance and performance, don't get me wrong. But I, I want to make sure that that's clear because what, does that, what that does, it sets up the artwork as an education tool and as a almost profit of education when we go out into the community. So we have programs uh, beyond, besides the School of Dance that, that go out and engage audiences wherever we perform. So we have performances for young people, which is one of my favorite things excerpted um, evening length pieces are put together and then there is a narrative that's built around what you're seeing and where they come from and how they connect to each other. Uh, it is one of my favorite things to do. I am a five-year-old or at heart, I am the mm -hmm. MC and I want to bring those kids along on that journey. So things like that, we've gone in and we work and we do dance residencies, we teach dance, we teach how to look at culture and dance. Um, we've done arts integration, where, you, where we do some work that allows students to explore anything from history, geography, and this art form. And then my, what we've been doing lately is really going deeper into the community. Besides also working with our seniors, um, and with disabled communities, we, we have recently started working with incarcerated youths. A lot of our Latinx youths find themselves incarcerated. And if we can go into a space where we're permitted to do so, then we will bring a window, a perspective, something of pride to those young people. So we run the gamut of, of what we do. And a lot of it is because I love to teach and I will be the first one to say, yes, that that community needs a voice. Let's do something. Yeah. Yeah. I, the work that you describe and what you said about giving a voice to community, to, you know, to young people, to elders, to every member of a community and recognizing, you know, that inherent dignity in every member of the community. To me, that's when the arts are at their best. And so when I hear you talk about the work that Ballet Hispanico is doing there, it just uh, um, brings me so much joy. Eduardo, thank you for all your work in that arena. Oh, it's, it's my pleasure. And, you know, I, I think that all arts organization are education organizations. Everything we do, art is, especially dance. Dance is a passed on art form, like crocheting. You don't get that good knot until someone who's done it before grabs your hand and says, here's how you do it. The experience of the exchange of human um, knowledge is so important. And I think that is what our arts are about. Um, and if we can understand that and keep moving towards that, oh my goodness, that's why they have to be in our schools. There's yeah. no way around it. Exactly. <laughs> Thank you. Exactly. 
Well, Eduardo, I'd like to ask you, as your organization is 50 years old, there's been quite an evolution. And I sort of came to know Ballet Hispanico in the early 90s. It was already 20 years old. And when I was doing research, I was really um, surprised to find that in the early days of Ballet Hispanico, they even had the folkloric dance or the, the deer dance as a part of the repertoire. So it's kind of evolved from folkloric dance to ballet to contemporary to club dance, from mixed rep programs to full length evening works. My broad question for you is, why do you feel it's important to have a Latino voice in dance? And how has that voice evolved? I feel that I, I should answer this question by, by saying that as Latinos, Latinas, Hispanics, we've had to understand how we evolve within a structure um, that has not allowed us to be who we are, that pigeonholed us, that stereotyped us. And so we too had to learn how to gather our strength and the language needed to dismantle some of that structure and claim our place at the table and our place in leadership. And so I think that's what I've always thought about this because you're right, Ballet Hispanico went through such iterations. And I think, you know, Tina was burdened with, you know, trying to follow that on, on how we're gaining, you know, our strength to do that. And so she experimented in so many different ways, but her entree point was what everyone knew, the folklore, the exoticism. Right now, I, I will not be burdened by that. So to me, it is important to have a Latino voice in the dance world to continue to push the need for inclusion and for leadership of BIPOC communities because it, we've, we've done enough. We are at this point, we're at this inflection point of social justice. And um, in order to, to support what's going on, I think Ballet Hispanico is more important now more than ever. I couldn't agree with you more, Eduardo. And I wanna follow up that question with a couple of specifics. Yes. I know that in the first decade of the 2000s, a lot of the work at Ballet Hispanico was mainly focused on iconic, if not cliched, representation of the Latinx community. How are the current works dispelling the stereotypes of the Latino culture? Could you perhaps discuss Gustavo Ramirez Sansano's Carmen and Annabel Lopez Ochoa's Tiburones? Mm -hmm. um, yes, I think, I think dismantling stereotype can be done and it's done through the voices of um, Latinx, Spanish, Hispanic choreographers. I tend to turn it over to them and not say, I need a dance about the club where we all go hang out. I need a dance about the specific uh, folklore that we're doing. I tend to ask choreographers, what are you thinking about these days? And so I'm thinking about this and we have a conversation and here's where our society is going and here's where the Latino um, community is, what they're thinking, what they're doing. And so it always comes out. 
that's one way. So that's, that's a whole grouping of different kinds of works. And I can point out things like Con Brazos Abiertos by Michelle Manzanales um, and others. But then I also, uh, when I curate, I want to take back the stories that have been taken on by everybody else. I mean, for goodness sake, the story of Carmen is, was created by French men, French white men. And yet it became iconic for anything Spain, right? You think of Carmen, you think that everybody is running around with a flower on their hair, um, being mischievous and very sensual. So in taking that, in doing that, that, that meta, sorry, or that responsibility turns into um, finding choreographers like Gustavo Ramirez Sanzano, who created a Carmen called Carmen Machia. And Machia is, is part of Taor Machia, which is bullfighting. And so he put this whole theme of, of this spectator sport, let's say, and um, he dressed it down. So it's a black and white ballet. There is no frills. The lines and silhouettes still give you, you know, long dresses and sort of some of the military feel, but not the color. And then the, the scenic design is so contemporary. It's these walls that move around are accordion-like and made of paper. And then you have these beautiful drops that are Picasso-esque because Picasso was infatuated with the idea of Carmen and he drew many, you know, in black, um, in black and white, drew many faces of Carmen or the, the Española. So in dispelling, like, the, in, in removing the trappings of what a Carmen would be, that is the start of taking back a story. Another thing is uh, my work with Annabelle Lopez Ochoa. One of the things Ballet Hispanico does is ignites the Latino voice in an artist. Annabelle had never done anything having to do with her Colombian background until she met me and I said, aren't you Colombian? And so we started working together and she developed her voice, her, her Latina-ness, and it's been fantastic to see her and I'm so proud of her. So recently, um, we were both talking about, you know, the surge of West Side Story and everybody wanting to remake West Side Story, Broadway and the movies. And we turned to each other and said, and here we go again. All of the men directing are white males. Nobody choreographing was either female or Latinx. They had supporting role people. Yeah, thanks a lot. I appreciate the crumbs. But we knew immediately that there was going to be a problem. So we set to working together and I said, I think we need to do a response to that. She created tiburones, which means sharks. And so she wanted to take the gaze of media in the Latinx world and just turn it around and say, see here, this is what's happening to us. You make us feel like this, you make us do this, but we are more than this. And, in, and it's a beautiful work um, with one singular director that in the end, the, the gang revolts on. It also touches about, and here's what I love about uh, her as a contemporary voice. It is a non-cisgender ballet, so um, it's very gender flowing. And that's important too, because our young generation is very aware of that. And we need to represent everyone in this diaspora. So it is a beautiful work that really speaks to stop putting me in a gang and using me as a vehicle to say who I am.
Eduardo, I want to point out that both of those two choreographers are choreographers that you first brought in to work with you at Luna Negra, which really speaks to your talent of finding new talent. Um, my next question for you is one that's really of an aesthetic nature, and I'm going to ask you a nearly impossible question. And that is that the term ballet for many people means classical ballet, um, but it's, it can also mean in the broadest sense, any form of movement. In the earlier years, Ballet Hispanico did a lot of Vicente Nebrado's work, who was really more of a classical ballet cont uh, choreographer. And then there's also a range of very contemporary movement in the current repertoire. I know that you've done pieces that are what I would refer to as more dance theater. How would you define the aesthetic of Ballet Hispanico? We are a repertory company. And, you know, I guess I'll, I'll do it this way. Just like Ballet Hispanico is a difficult name um, for some today because of what you reference. It has the word ballet and Hispanico, two uh, words that today have a lot of trouble. One, because it, one speaks to hierarchy, um, elitism, and the other one speaks to a connection to colonization, which is Hispanico. So, so I have pondered that a lot, but what, what comes through for me is you're given a name, you're given a name and with that name comes an inheritance and also a vehicle to release the chains of what that inheritance or the bad parts of that inheritance. I have a name that ends in O. There's no way around it. I'm not going to assimilate and call myself Edward. My name is Eduardo. And so I want to honor my name and honor my background and where I came from in all of its glory and in all of its messiness. And so that's why I think Ballet Hispanico continues to be strong for me because the repertory celebrates all of the glory and all of the messiness. We will do a Vicente Nebrada piece and I will reimagine it with costumes and try to develop context around it and, and bring it to, to students with study guides so that we understand where we came from and why it's important to see that. And then we will do works like Tiburones and highlight that. It is in the doing and the presenting and not in the saying, we know what we're, you know, it's not, we have to, not do it like a ballet company and say, here are the masterworks. You have to know what they are and you have to have them. Well, yes, okay, but there's so much more. Eduardo, I think that was a great answer. Selfishly, I'm excited that you're bringing back a Vicente Nebrada piece. We're doing Batucada Fantastica. It's, a, it's at the Apollo 21. That brings me uh, right into my next question, Eduardo. I wanted to look to both kind of the immediate future and a little bit further out in the future for Ballet Hispanico. First off, I want to offer a, an incredibly hearty congratulations. Um, Ballet Hispanico just received a major grant from the Ford Foundation. Um, amazing, kudos, my hat is off. I'm hoping you can tell us a little bit about that award and then talk about what that means for the company and uh, some of the work that's upcoming for you. The, the award is called America's Cultural Treasures. And I am so grateful to the Ford Foundation. Um, Darren Walker is again leading the charge 
of reframing what it is to be American and include everyone. And so I think that this, this award, I mean, between you and me, I always knew Valley Hispanical was a cultural treasure. It's about time everybody else did, right? <laughs> Absolutely. So, uh, quite the validation. Yeah, exactly, exactly. In, in thinking of, of this wonderful award, which has a generous gift with it, this is a unique opportunity, and this is also a big responsibility. And two days after the, oh my God, this really happened, settled in with me, the next thing that, that started in waves was the responsibility of this and how excited I am to meet this challenge. I think being named this makes me want to make sure that Valley Hispanico for its next 50 years is a model of quality arts, social justice movement, and also a model for people within the organization to find and grow. And so this gift is really going to turn into a way of re removing um, the shackles of, you know, we're the small little engine that could. No, now we need to hire up. We have to level up because there's a responsibility. People are watching. My community is watching. That's very both dreadful but important for me. So how I build now um, is about... Uh, and this isn't about professionalizing. It's about preparing for the kind of intentional work and development so that people can come in and say, I need to find out more about what it means to be Latino. They walk in through our door and there's all kinds of resources for them. They see us on stage and they understand that they can have a dialogue about the diversity of, of, of who we are as Latinx people. They take a class and they also experience for themselves that they are welcome and that this is an inclusive art form. That's incredible. You have been working in, and living those values in the company for so long. And so this next step is just going to be something to watch. I can't wait to see it a little bit from afar, but also hopefully work with you in it as well. I know you have some projects that will be bringing you to Detroit and I'm hoping you can tell us a little bit about them. Yeah, so um, in my want of taking back uh, our stories, um, with Annabelle Lopez Ochoa, we are starting, well, we already started, we, unfortunately, the pandemic made us just um, slow down a bit, a full-length work on the life of Eva Perón. Not Evita, not Andrew Lloyd Webber, there we go, a guy <laughs> making a story about a woman and a Latina. Yeah. So how do we take it back? How do we retell it? How do we give it life beyond the, the representation, the iconic representation it already has? It's exciting, it will have live music. I am so pleased that we will be bringing it to your community, but it's also going to be filled with such fodder for our school and for our community engagement programs. I have lists and lists of projects. We, we have also a, a Frida uh, coming up as well. Right now, um, the social justice movement is asking for us to retell stories, to put our stories out alongside with these wonderful American stories that, that I also love. And so it is a really great moment um, to be working with this organization. And I feel humbled and proud. Well, Eduardo, I think that we've got a lot of material here, but um, if you'd like to talk about how you're coping with the global pandemic, feel free to talk about it. So when the pandemic hit, um, 
I immediately went into, like I say, immigrant mode. What does that mean? That means that you are fast on your feet, um, that you don't take no for an answer, and that you are reinventing yourself and everything around you so that you can make ends meet, so that you can feed your family. Everything is a metaphor for the work that we do at Valley Hispanico. I had to make sure that my staff was um, taken care of. We went remote. We immediately developed an amazing virtual program called Be Unidos, Be United, um, which gave something to our audiences and students every day of the week. Motivational Mondays, Take Back Tuesdays, where you can take a class, WEPA Wednesday, where you can see some of our work and um, listen to discussion of the artists, Therapy Thursdays, where you can learn about therapeutic ways and wellness and mind centering, and then Fiesta Fridays or Flashback Fridays, where you can learn about the history of Valley Hispanico. That became so popular that we, we had an extension during Hispanic Heritage Month and called it Be Unidos por la Cultura, or Be United for the Culture. And again, daily reminders of what it is to be Latino, Latina, Latinx today. And uh, we altered some things. One of the things we did um, and that I want to do more is that we want to share our our profile as an, the preeminent Latino dance organization in America with other Latinx. And so we open our platform to other dance companies from Colombia, from Puerto Rico. And so they had an opportunity to show their work. So it's been amazing to be able to gather the strength, our strength in virtual. Well, Eduardo, I'd like to thank you for being so generous with your time. But before you, 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 you say anything else, I just want to make sure that everyone understands that you were so instrumental in helping me learn how to be a leader. And you were so helpful when I was building Luna Negra. And um, you too understand building community. So I want to thank you for that. Well, thanks, Eduardo. We've been a part of a mutual fan club for a long time. And <laughs> just continue on. <laughs> I love you very much, and I love what you're doing, and you do it so well, and there couldn't be a better fit. So hats off, and continued good work. Thank you so much. We also want to recognize and thank our sponsors. MOT at Home is supported by the National Endowment for the Humanities, the DTE Energy Foundation, and the Ford Motor Company Fund. Dance activities at Michigan Opera Theater are supported by Joanne and Richard Brody, the Maxine and Stuart Frankel Foundation, the Marvin, Betty, and Joanne Danto Family Foundation, and Kevin Dennis and Jeremy Seltzer. Thank you so much for your generous support. And of course, we want to thank you for tuning in to today's Dance Here podcast and for taking part in our MOT at Home initiative. Keep checking back for more podcasts, performances, playlists, blog posts, and more. To find more information on MOT at Home or to learn more about our dance dialogue series, visit our website at michiganopera.org. You can also connect with us on social media. Find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Thanks again to everyone listening, and we can't wait until the next time we can see you at the ballet.